Oh shit! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. My name is Anders Holmes and across the table from me, not on my computer over Zoom, but in the... We're in the in same country. real life. <laughs> real life. Not Live! The, not the AI version on the computer. No, this isn't... No, I'm not on some virtual screen. I'm sitting here with you in Denmark. Yes, yes. very glad to be here. Yeah. Um, it, it's good to be back too because, I mean, what the fuck has been going on with the podcast. You've been doing your interminable rants about the Halloween franchise on your own, but apart from that, our listeners have had no content from us for, like, months. Like, what's going on? Well, yeah, I mean, we probably did mention it on one of the episodes before our, like, two-month, two-and-a-half-month hiatus. Because I, uh, I, I had a job working on a film in England. Dun, with, dun, dun. Yeah, I was working on a low-budget uh, World War II film with uh, with planes and Spitfires and everything. I was so jealous. I couldn't believe the photos you were sending me. I was like, oh my god, can I get a job on this? Because I know Callum. Hi, Callum, if you're listening. Yeah. And I, I remember him from um, when we when we were filming your student film. And that was that I had made sandwiches that day. And I was like, maybe I could make sandwiches again for this shoot and then I can go and play with the Spitfires yeah but, um, well, I amazing. mean it was um, the Spitfire that we got was it was donated from a museum it wasn't like belongs a- in a museum <laughs> so do you <laughs> uh, it was donated to from, from a museum um, we it, it, it had like we could like go in and sit in it because a lot of the scenes had them like jumping in the actors did you played. sit in the plane I didn't sit in the plane no <laughs> I, would have I think you're probably too tall for a Your head way, would be like I'm craning out the way, top of it. Way too tall to be in the Spitfire. Oh, I'm, I'm but, too fat. Um, they actually, for scenes where the plane is taxiing out, they um, Andrew Byrne, Callum's dad, who's also the producer and the writer on the co-writer on the film, he had built. I think maybe they had built it themselves, but they had built like the cockpit of cockpit the, <laughs> of, um, of the Spitfire. So when it's taxiing out, you have the actors sitting in it. I think I probably sent you like a photo of it. Yeah, I saw this. Like I saw this on the on yeah. the film. Has the film has an Instagram page? I think Instagram. Uh, or the photographer uh, has a. Anyway, I saw that. I saw the thing. It's really cool. I mean, it, it it's just like I thought it was. It was really clever. You build the the the, the cockpit, <laughs> and then you um, and then you just point the camera towards the sky, and it looks like the guys flying around. It's mm-hmm. looks like really good low budget solution to you know. Uh, to all of that so nice yeah that's I mean, great. a lot of, a lot they're, of the, they're gonna do some cgi as well there's a bunch of vfx that they're gonna do yeah. uh, which callum already did beforehand he's already he did kind of a few of them already and i think he's in the process of doing a bit a few more of them mainly of all the sort of dog fight scenes that are in the scripts nice. um yeah so well so you were doing that so that's that's you know you, so you were doing that, that for yeah. what like about a month yeah, I was in England for quite a while. It was an interesting time to be in England. The Queen had died, and Liz Truss became Prime Minister for a week. Oh, yeah, that was like big British events week. Yeah, yeah. you were there. Yeah. And um, when, the day I arrived, I was walking around Hyde Park, and... You saw the Queen. I didn't, she's not actually dead. She's, I didn't see the Queen, but no, they, they, had, they had cannons that they were firing, and this was quite close to Marble Arch or that sort of area. It was in Hyde Park on the sort yeah, of yeah. And they were firing it numerous times to good because each cannon fire was symbolizing each year of her life and so they me, fired 96 cannon like 96 yeah, fu- what do they call them like artillery yeah, yeah, yeah. Barrages, artillery like or, barrages you know. but like for me who just got off salutes. Plane, artillery uh, salutes yeah. that's not a barrage not bombarding <laughs> you know Knightsbridge no but I did like because me being like a tourist who just got off the plane a few hours ago or at least actually cut an hour and a half ago I didn't know about it so when I hear the first cannon fire I jumped and 
sort of crouched because I thought, oh shit, are the Russians invading? And uh, no, there were just a bunch of people standing by a fence filming people firing cannons one at a time. Yeah, it was like perfectly normal. Yeah, so after a while it was just like, it's quite respectful, but loud. it seemed to be loud. A loud, and... loud way to be respectful. Yeah, but also like, why are they firing so many times? <laughs> it's, it's... it's a very old lady. If you're going to do one a year, I mean, it'll be, you know, it would have been easier for uh, whatever, you know, Henry VIII's son was called, the one who didn't live very long. Uh, it would the Sick? Something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. So you're in England. Uh, well, I bought a house. You bought a house? Yeah, I bought a house. Well, and my, wi- my wife and I bought a house. Um, and um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, that, that happened. That's been taking up a lot of my time. Um, I also uh, have been busy with work stuff. Um, but I, well, part of that is that I went on a really nice trip to Virginia uh, just around the time of the midterms. Um, and visited the good people at Roanoke College's Centre for Studying Structures of Race, which, uh, you know, um, lovely folks there. Um, but yeah, a real mental trip. Really interesting, like, Civil War adventure in uh, in old Virginia. Actual um, cannons used for fire. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of cannons there. A lot of yeah. cannons there, too, I've got to, got to admit. Um, Up, two, three. But I, um, but uh, yeah, very... Um, very, very, very cool trip. I went to the I went to the crater at the Petersburg battlefield, which anyone who's seen the film uh, Cold Mountain, not a good movie, but that does open with a scene of of the battle at the crater. They so shot that in Romania. That, that whole film. Yeah, well, I went to the real one. Um, so anyway, enough about that. Sorry for being away, listeners. I hope you were able to like find other podcasts or something. I hope some of you are still listening. Um, I was really interesting to look at the ACAR stats with you yesterday. Mm. That we have uh, we have listeners all over the world. We have listeners in in in, in all of the continents except Antarctica. Um, so the guys from the thing need to tune in. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I watched the thing again recently. Of course during, you uh, did. Of course you did. Halloween. We're always watching something by John Carpenter. Um, well, John Carpenter's a great director. Of course. And a great composer as well. Oh uh, yes, not to be forgotten. Anyway, look, um, we decided. In conversation that this top 10 thing we're not going to end it but I do think like we've done a lot of top 10s I think like uh, the whole year done the top 10 top food tens. things we've done top 10 animation buses top 10 picnic trains. scenes top 10 like but the train scenes. one the train one we did was very yeah. popular apparently yeah people like the train one yeah sorry I'm not, I'm not you know, but we've done we've done food scenes train scenes uh, b- uh, battle no shootout shootout uh, we've done um um We've done a lot of that stuff. Um, we've done uh, scary scenes. Uh, we've done all this. We've done all this business, and uh, you know, I feel like the time is right to switch up the format a bit. And we have decided that we're going to just round off the top ten thing for now. We can bring it back at some point uh, by actually counting down our personal top ten films of each decade. Yeah, uh, we could do each year, but that might get ridiculous and a bit difficult for. Uh, for some of the earlier years, but uh, we're going to do every decade from nineteen the 1920s to the 2010s, 2010s. Um, but we're going to do them in reverse order uh, in part so that you can actually catch up and watch some films from, from the, the 1920s because yes. you have let the side down there. Uh, but uh, well, we, but the, the crucial thing is we're each going to submit our top 10. So yes. I am going to submit my list and Anders is going to submit his list. His list. And um, sound, like, sound like a Truman Capote. His list. Yeah, his list more like. Uh, and you and we are not going to tell each other ahead of time what the lists are. Mm. So if they're really similar, that'll be blah, lol. But if yeah. uh, if they're also different, that will give us some chance to have some banter, which yeah. is what it's all about. Yeah. 
bit of trivia about Truman Capote. He actually had a, an affair with a male teacher at Smith College in Northampton. Really? Yeah. Where my wife works. Yeah. So yeah, it's mentioned in the uh, George Plimpton biography about him, which I have upstairs in my bedroom. Goodness. Yeah. Excellent fact. That yeah. is a, you normally your your trivia are so just inane <laughs> as to make you want to pull your own eyes out of your head and yeah. shove them in your ears. But actually, that is a good fact. Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth also lived in Northampton briefly as well. Yes, we know that. And uh, Rachel Maddow lives nearby. So, and uh, Ooh, the Rachel Maddow. The Rachel Maddow. What, what, as opposed to the fake Rachel Maddow, the, the impersonator. Um, <laughs> or the one that gets the, the, the one on SNL that gets played by one of the actors, I guess. Oh, I don't really watch SNL. Um, Me neither. We're, uh, let's get this show on the road. Let's do the top 10 of the 2010s. Um, do you want to go first? Uh, we'll, do yeah. it, we'll do it in alphabetical order. Just yeah, and damn goes for Anders. Yes. Uh, so yes, here's my little handwritten list. A bit of ASMR. Number what? No, sorry. Number ten is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Very good film. Yep. All right. What's yours? No, wait a second. Okay, let me just say we've do, we talked about the Grand Budapest Hotel. We talked about it when it came out. We talked about it in other contexts. I think we've talked about it on one of the top tens. Um, mm-hmm. Just like real. In brief, uh, I I find the film completely delightful. Uh, yeah. It is Wes Anderson getting the balance right between his annoying qualities and his um, total just vivid uh, aesthetic and sense of imagination. Um, I did speaking of your plane thing. I saw the other day a thing showing how they filmed the train. Mm-hmm. There's also just a little cutout of them in, in the in the uh, in the I've snowscape. Seen I've seen that as well. It's very yeah. well done. But uh, no, it's it's a lovely film. It's it's full of great um, performances. You've got your uh, you've um, Willem Dafoe's, and you've got Jude Law. You've got F. Murray Abraham for Christ's sake. But at the heart of it is Ray Fiennes, uh, Mr. Gustav, Monsieur Gustav, who is um, an astonishing comic creation, and I think it's got to rank as one of Fiennes's finest uh, performances. Um, and it also just shows he actually is a very funny man and he, oh, he has, yeah. he's got like great comedic timing as well yeah because like he's in other comedies but like um you know he's 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 got what he's one of the better things about the terrible coen brothers film hail caesar he's also um in obviously in bruges but in bruges he plays essentially a voldemort in a suit yeah um and it's more you know situational the comedy is more verbal and and in in uh, Grand Budapest, he allows himself to be a lot just of like a, a, a total like sort of um, physical comic, and it's it's lovely stuff. So, if for some reason you haven't seen Grand Budapest Hotel, I strongly recommend that you watch it because I think it's the tenth best film of the last decade, of the decade preceding this decade, yeah. the one we're in, not the present decade, but the last the last decade. Did you see his last? What, film? what year did it come out? 2014. 2014, yeah. yeah. So right in the middle, right in the sweet spot. Yeah. Bam! We saw it in uh, the Cineworld in Haymarket, I think. God bless. Yeah. God bless your memory. Uh, let's see Which what Which was your... also the same cinema. No, we didn't watch it together. I saw it with somebody else. Uh, but we, your no, memory sucks! <laughs> <laughs> we saw we saw Hail... No, not Hail Caesar. We saw... Hail Mon- Hitler. <laughs> Monuments Men in, the, in that Could, cinema. Please do not cut out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, me saying that. Okay. Uh, we not saw Nazi. Monuments Men is not good. No. Uh, nor is Hail Caesar. But you know what is good? Grand Budapest Hotel. That is why I put it at number 10. Yeah. What is your number 10, Anders Holmes? I, I, I was actually about to ask, did you watch Wes Anderson's recent film, the the Dispatch film, French Dispatch? Yes. Did you like it? Yes. 
Okay. What's your, what's your, but, it's, but it didn't come out in the 2010s. So I can't put it on a list, can I? came out last year. Yeah. Okay, so at number 10, I put Mission Impossible Fallout. Which one is that? The sixth one. This is so you. So I go with like a fun, creative, Oscar-winning, uh, uh, you know, beautiful film, and you go with a Tom Cruise vehicle. Uh, which one is this? Is this the one where he climbs the tower or he's on the plane? It's the one where he jumps out of a plane in the helicopter chase with Henry Cavill. That didn't come out in the 2010s. That came out in like 2020. No, that came out in 2018. Really? Oh, God. Mission Impossible 7 was supposed to come out recently, but it got pushed back because of COVID. Bastards. Um, okay, so... And I saw this film as well. It, there is no way in fucking heck that that film is, is the tenth is the tenth best film made in the ten years between 2010 and 2019. Okay, just because I... For me, I He's feel like... Arms, ladies and gentlemen. I just... I like action movies a lot. And you I feel have made that abundantly made clear that in the 10 years we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> and I feel like the sort of peak of like action movies was the 80s and the 90s. And I feel like the filmmaking and the cinematic style was very good. It felt very Get ready real. for a lot of action films in the 80s and 90s episodes, people. Yeah, but the, the, the action felt really <laughs> good. Anderson's top film of the 90s is Con Air! <laughs> Would not be the well. It might be the. I, I think. I, anyway, no, but I feel. Like, but I just yes. feel like in the nineties and the eighties, action films were very. You know, they were interesting. They had great characters. They were well written, and you know, like Die Hard is a great action film. You know, John McClane is a fantastic 100%. character, yeah. and you have great villains. You have Alan Rickman. You know, it's just. Yeah, I watched Under Siege recently. Well, yeah, that we can talk about that. Directed by uh, Andrew Davis, who did I know. The Fugitive. I know. Tommy Lee Jones is great in that film. Uh, uh, but anyway, but, but so like in the sort of preceding, you know, so after the 90s and there was a few, there was a handful of films in the 20s, in the 2000s and the millennium years and things like that. But I feel like action films got a little bit lost in the style of things, like, like a lot of cross, a lot of weird. Yeah, bad, the Paul Greengrass. Yeah, yeah. The, Paul, the Paul Greengrass uh, shaky cam, very sort of bad editing and geography. Oh, and that stuff first like that. bit of Quantum of Solace drives me fucking crazy. Oh, you did can't you, see what's going on. Did you watch that in the first row of in the cinema? In the cinema, I don't know. I think you I think because you you got someone or both bought the tickets, but you were standing in the front row looking up at the screen, and then the cross cut. I, I don't remember that. But yeah, I think, maybe but, if that's the if that's the case, then that doesn't help either. But um, so I feel like, and I and since then, like. I think the first Mission Impossible by Brian De Palma. Oh my is, god, are you going to talk about every single? No, I'm not going to talk. It's, it's very good. And John Woo's Mission Impossible Two is, you know, a guilty pleasure. Mission Impossible Three, JJ Abrams. That means it's shit. <laughs> For you, it's shit. Uh, no, but exactly. it does have some good bits. Uh, the bit Mission, where he cuts the guy's pinky off with the cigar cutter is pretty yeah, fun. Yeah. Um, in Mission Impossible Three, JJ Abrams's film. I'm not the biggest fan of that, even though I do like Philip Seymour Hoffman as the villain in that movie he's oh, pretty good Seymour Hoffman is anything yeah, yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible 4 where he's on the um, that's the tower one that's the tower one in yeah. Saudi or no Abu Dhabi or somewhere in the Dubai. Middle East Dubai we've got there and it's and I and then he, and then Christopher Christopher McQuarrie who came back into directing in 2012 with Jack Reacher I think is a great action filmmaker and also he's written you know he's worked on like Top Gun Maverick which again is a fantastic action film with great characters and you know it's a stirring film and it's a very moving film. Yeah, Macquarie film. and Cruz have found, like, they're very much the sort of John Ford and John Wayne of, yeah. like, brawny action films of the of this century. Yeah, it's always, it's, it's, but it's just looking at, like, how they 
do the stunts and also just the way that they shoot everything is really great. And also just Mission Impossible Fallout has a lot of great action sequences and also just like how different it is from Rogue Nation because I was expecting like a bit of a, sheet, a clean sort of movie. Well, Rogue Nation is, is better than Fallout, in my opinion. I think just Fallout it's is just... Wait, it's really fun. I don't know. I mean, Fallout, I had fun with Fallout. Right? I, 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 I watched... I, listen to me. I'm going to stop taking the piss and I'm just going to say, I went to the cinema to see Mission Impossible Fallout and I had a great time. Yeah. Tom Cruise is obviously making some fantastic entertainment. I am yes. still going to keep my enormous question mark next to your choice, but it is your choice and it is, and that is fine. It is your body, your choice, and you can decide to um, have a... Um, to, to worship that little man um, if you want. And I've um, met that little man. I know, yeah. Nice. Have, I've seen you next to him yeah. but I had to like so, scroll down the image to find where Tom Cruise's head began because you're such a tree yeah but no I just think the action is great I just think like the fact that like he really like pushes himself to do all these stunts like actually jumping out of a plane doing the halo jump doing the hello like training to do the helicopter stuff is that the one where they are in the water and the air is running out that's Rogue Nation. Ah, oh, see, they all bleed together in my head. All right. Yeah. So I just think, from like an action cinema point of view, it's great, and I think it just kind of shows like this is how you do action films these days, and actually, you know, give a shit about the story and the characters, and actually, you know, he gets it. He's he's because yeah. he's an entertainer. He's a circus mm. guy. You know, he's like a he's like, like this is the this is Tom Cruise's circus of testosterone, yes. and you, we are going to have fun with it, and it is it is done with a wink you know a little bit to the audience that just yeah. sort of says like it doesn't actually matter what this film is about we're just going to do some really cool shit mm. so but yeah but fair Christ enough fair Christopher Corey is a very good director and um, his fil his first film The Way of the Gun with uh, Benicio Del Toro and Ryan Felipe and the late great James Caan is worth a watch oh yeah James Caan R.A.P. Um, alright number nine um, my number nine is Wind River uh, directed by uh, Taylor Sheridan. Taylor Sheridan. I always forget his name. He's his wonderful. Uh, directorial debut. Oh, it's a it, and he he wrote, of course, Helen High Water. He's written other things, but he he does an amazing job. He writes Wind River as well. He does write yeah. Wind River. Yeah. Yeah, it's a stunning film. Um, an incredibly um, visceral uh, thriller that leaves you feeling kind of outraged at the end because yeah. it does actually so it's so rare when Hollywood tries to approach issues relating to indigenous people in the Americas uh, that they actually get it kind of you know aren't kind of embarrassing that this this film really raises important issues about um, about the indigenous presence in the contemporary US they don't portray Indians as some kind of vanished people vanishing people uh, you know, it's not a bunch of uh, guys in wigs on horseback. You know, this is this is stuff happening in the in our own time, and you can feel that presence of this sort of contemporary American anger and danger in the film. You know, the, the same energy that leads to mass shootings and January the sixth and so on. It feels present in that film, um, and uh, but it's, it's beautifully done. It's uh, it's, it's really well uh, really well acted. Um, lovely to see some old favorites uh, from, you know, some early, these earlier films of the 90s featuring native peoples like Tantu Cardinals in the film, I think. And uh, uh, isn't she, a, didn't she play the mother? Or Maybe I got that wrong. Anyway, Graham Green. Graham, Graham, Graham Green, Green is in there. He's, he's the legend, Graham Green. But um, also uh, Gil, Bur Bur I think his name is Gil Burningham, who was in Hello High Water. He plays uh, Jeff Bridges' partner in that film. He's very good in Wind River. Yes, yes. The scene on the porch with oh, God. Jeremy Renner is very good. Those, and... Yeah, Renner's good too. I mean, he's a funny actor, Jeremy Renner, but he's 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 good in this one, and he's um, 
very well suited for the part. And um, it was nice to see Elizabeth Olsen and Jeremy Renner actually outside of the Marvel movies and actually play yeah, performances right. and stuff. Because I don't know if you saw that thing about that Tarantino said recently about MCU actors in that they're not, you know, the people, it's not like, it's not them who are becoming movie stars from being in these movies. It's the characters. It's like, yeah, which I completely agree. Because, you know, when you look at someone like Robert Downey Jr., you just see Iron Man because he is Iron Man. But like, you know, same with Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans. But like, I feel like Jeremy yeah, Renner. Those guys mixed up. Yeah, Jeremy Renner. There's a lot of Chris's in yeah, the MCU. Chris Renner. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yeah. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. <laughs> I mean, Chris, Chris Pratt. is a bit of a Pratt. Yeah. Um, Apparently. But, yeah. But no, but Jeremy Renner. I, I, I like Jeremy Renner. I think he was great in The Town. And, you know, he was uh, another 2010s film, which he was really good in. And he's, you know, he's done a lot of... He's, he's a very good performer and I think you know in this one he was able to have this you know very like very quietly intense moments especially on the scene yeah. on the on the mountain at the end of the film with the with the with the who's the, I can't remember the actor's name but he's actually appeared in a bunch of he's appeared he's he's appeared in a few of Taylor Sheridan's other projects yeah no, it's just a, it's it's a great film it's a great it's just a great western you know it's a great contemporary western so um Nick Cave and Warren Ellis's music is really yeah. well suited for the movie yeah it's I, again it might you might not have seen it listener but if you um I'm sure if you want to watch it, it's very easily available somewhere so so do check it out yeah. um you, it, can, you need you do need a strong constitution for some scenes yeah but, uh, it's a it's a very yeah. tough film yeah. and also very, the violence is extremely yeah. visceral um also but, I mean, as it should be as it yeah. should be. but also i think like taylor sheridan he actually wrestled the film away from uh, harvey weinstein after his because uh, harvey weinstein was like a producer or pro- uh, executive oh. producer on it and he once the allegations of harvey weinstein were brought to the light taylor sheridan like managed to like buy the rights well buy the whole film away and you know kind of Right. Take it out of the, his, you know, take, take it out of his from... sweaty hands. Yeah. Um, good. Well, good for him. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show that as we review these decades, you know, inevitably uh, we will relive some of the um, events that happened. And, um, yeah, the whole Me Too movement, which so much centered on the movie mm-hmm. industry, was, was massive. And this film obviously, you know, deals with the. Um, um, men who attack and, uh, and ultimately, you know, destroy women. And so, yeah. Um, What's your number nine? So my number nine is a film from 2014 called Nightcrawler. Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah, with I, Jake Gyllenhaal. I I'm glad you got that on your list because I couldn't find room for it on mine. Um, and it is a it is a grand film. Um, yeah, I really, mean, really um, disturbing. Yeah, it's, it's a very disturbing word, film, you know, but yeah. also like it. It, prescient it, yeah it, but it, it does tap into that kind of because it, it is a bit of a rags to riches story of you know a guy a very violent and uh complicated and extremely disturbing guy you know trying to get ahead in the world a little bit and you know given the way that social media is with like tiktok and everything like that that's kind of like the way to go in these like little snippets and stuff like that and it kind of like clouds your idea of like what's right and wrong and like in trying to get clout and fame and things like that and it, you know the whole like if it bleeds it leads kind of thing is is pretty prescient in that film and also there's some great I- extremely intense scenes especially in the scene when he goes around the, the house after the people the family's been murdered and also that scene where the killers are in the coffee shop or something like that and the cops come in and it's really it's an incredibly well-made film it has a very sort of 70s cinema yes. kind of vibe to yeah, it yeah 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 totally feels um 
it totally feels in that uh, you know in that in that spirit the sort of um, you know mid seventies kind of America as somewhere with deep problems and 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 sort of a, a lot of violence in the air. Um, and yeah, just in the eight years since, I mean, we've seen this kind of obsession with content just yeah. kind of reach new levels and the idea that this that anyone out there can be their own news um, reporter. And, and yeah, and the American news in particular is obsessed with death and, and, and misfortune, you know, to create fear around this idea that someone is going to come and kill you or your car is going to crash or you're going to get some rare disease of COVID, you know, mm. like all this stuff is like it, it it is just suffused in the landscape of of the world now because of the way that you know american culture is exported so it's yeah. just i feel like nightcrawler is so good at exposing that without being didactic you know it doesn't um it doesn't whack you over the head with it or sort of sermonize it just kind of shows you this you know there is no one good in this film no. there is no one I mean, in this except film for maybe riz ahmed's character but riz ahmed's character is just like I mean, he's he's another total, um, you know, pushover, yeah. um, like cynic. You know, he's also just trying to like, you know, get a. He's just another mm. version of, um, you know. There's no one. No one in this film has any backbone. No one in this film has any principles. No one in this film is trying to do anything Very good. It is a real. Morals. It is a film of, <laughs> of of really sort of morally uh, decrepit characters but um, you know it's, it works amazingly and, and and that's I think one of the reasons it works is because you don't have a character in there being like this is terrible and I'm going to tell you yeah. I'm going to be you the audience showing this why it actually puts you the audience in the role of wanting Gyllenhaal's character to succeed and that is disturbing it's a very strange way you want yeah. him to succeed and also you kind of want him to get arrested as well it's like watching Breaking Bad it's like you like Walter White and you want him to succeed and actually in that way it is a very of its time film that kind of the way we have become very interested in in these uh, you know kind of anti-heroes you know a lot of Sopranos as well I was was listening to the um, I was listening to the wonderful um, oh fuck what's it called Um, the Jamel Bowie podcast about action movies Um, clear uh, clear and present uh Unclear and present unclear danger. Present. Unclear and present danger. Got there in the end. Jamel Bowie's wonderful podcast with John Gans, uh, really worth listening to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like they talk about how you know in the eighties and nineties in, in thrillers and in action films, you know the heroes were quite often these kind of wisecracking, just like dudes, you know. And yeah. so often now we have heroes who are just it's psychos, you know, mm-hmm. in one way or another, and that how weird that is, and what that sort of says about our culture. Our culture, anyway. Um, good choice. So, should we do number eight? Yes. My number eight is the Norwegian film Headhunters, uh, based on a book oh, by Joe Nesbo yeah. and uh, directed by Morten Tildum. Morten Tildum. He did the Imagination game. Oh, did he now? It is. It came out in 2011. What a fantastic little madcap thriller this is. Completely unpredictable the first time you're watching it. Fantastically uh, suspenseful and also clocking in at a lean mean like 90 minutes it is just so tight so well executed um and hilarious i it's mean very funny it is and it and it has there is also weirdly enough a kind of almost biblical way you know that this film is almost like a, a a retelling of the book of job you know like the 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 um the um the the film is is like um you know, a trial of of a of a bad man. You know, a trial by fire of this man's sins that renders him 
um, you know, a changed and redeemed figure at the end of the movie. Um, and it's also just a splendid joke. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a great prank on some of the characters in the film suffer from, from having a joke played on them and, and the audience has a joke played on them. Mm. And it, it is so, so fun. And I don't want to go into too much detail because I want people to watch this. And I think it's probably less well seen um, than most of the films on my list. So go out there, watch this film, Headhunters, and report back, um, uh, people. It is, um, but, but you will enjoy it. Uh, yeah. you, will be, uh, you will be occasionally horrified, scared, and, um, and um, disgusted because there are scenes yeah. in this film involving... Um, uh, you know, lots of blood, um, the combination of sex and fighting and uh, a scene featuring uh, basically a lorry load of shit. Uh, so, like, prepare yourself for that. But um, and, but don't, also, be put off, some, don't be put off. There's also some scenes with a dog. Scenes with a dog. Scenes with yeah. a dog. We'll put it that way. So, yeah. so be prepared for some fucked up shit. But it is really, really fun. Really, really funny. And yeah. um, you've got you to love it. So, uh, yeah. so why, why don't we do your number eight? So, my number eight is Gravity. Very on brand for you, yes. Mm-hmm. Very on brand. Gravity. I, think, I mean, another spectacular piece of cinema on the big screen. Or, but it's like seeing it, that, seeing that in the IMAX in Waterloo was fantastic. I think I'm that, sure, that yeah. was like, I think that was like the best way to experience the movie. And I just think just the work that the VFX, the VFX artist did to. to you know make that film is great and they are pretty much unsung heroes in a lot of ways like films like life of pi and that wouldn't look as good on the screen on the big screen if it wasn't for the vfx artists no that's for sure i mean it is and it is a good looking film it is a um it is a you know it's it's, it's an epic space space story but it, without the sci-fi you know it is based on you know it's supposed to be something that could could easily in happen, happen. Yeah. But also, um, I mean, you know, for the most of the movie, we are with Sandra Bullock. And mm-hmm. I think she, you know, she carries the movie very well as this, like, you know, she's just up there. She's not an astronaut. She's not some, like, heroic person. And it's, she's, she kind of, and it's like, you know, a normal... Well, she is a heroic person, but yeah, she's, not, she's not trained to be a yeah, hero. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a normal everyday person trying to figure out, trying to get out of a situation where it's like, because, you know, George Clooney, he's like the big astronaut. And you think he's going to be, like, in the one to kind of help her through it. But then, you know, he disappears halfway through the film and then we don't see him ever again until like some sort of third man syndrome kind of sort of moment where she's you know at her wits end and then she's sort of brought back in um to sort of you know see it through and make it you know make make it all the way to earth yeah that 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 bit feels that's really where the it starts to feel like a movie like it's like oh this is made up like he's come back to life yeah. and he's talking to her that, that they i i feel like a better choice could have been made there but i'm not sure exactly what i mean they have to they have yeah. to pull her out of the pit somehow. But yeah, no, it's, it's a thrill ride. No, yeah. no question. It's, it it um, doesn't... I don't think it overstays its welcome. I think if, if it clocked in at a little... I mean, I think it felt like a 90-minute movie. I think that's how long the movie is. Let me check. Um, it's Guillermo del Toro, isn't it? No, it's Alfonso Cuarón. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, it's 91 minutes. So I feel like if it was like 100 minutes, I think then it would have probably overstayed its welcome and then it just becomes misery porn for like the whole time. Yeah, it's definitely... It, yeah, it's, it's... I'm glad it's as short as it is. Um, yeah. And it's... You know, straightforward as well, um, and I, mean, I think it, yeah, it is. It is also just that like, oof, you know, there what, are some there are some really there's yeah. really tough there's some <laughs> really tough sequences in there. Yeah, but I think what Alfonso Cuaron Cuaron does with the camera is fantastic. I think him and um, I'm pretty sure it is Emmanuel Alabeski who does the cinematography on the film, and he's great. Um, 
who's who's won like the best cinematography Oscar like three times, I think. Yeah, no, it's 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 brilliant. Yeah, um, it is it is Emmanuel Lebesky. Yeah, I mean yeah. he's I mean he's done work on Inuritu's movies as well, and he's you know did the cinematography on Children of Men, which is another great um, Alfonso Cuarón film. But like, just yeah, he's he's good at putting you in the in the scenes and immersing you in the movie. I think that's like the perfect way to experience. Yeah, experience gravity. I mean, I've seen the movie twice, and I that's think the same amount of times. I've yeah, seen it, yeah. It, 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 I think the second time I watched it, I saw it with Felina, my girlfriend, and she was pretty into it as well, and she really liked it. And we saw it like on a good sized TV that that we have, and I mean, it was just like watching the film again for the first time, like kind of because I'd forgotten a few little scenes and stuff. But no, it was it was great. I think again, you know, a technically well made film and. You know, Sandra yeah, you can't you can't fault it. Except weirdly enough, at the end where she comes to Earth, yeah, uh, that bit looks like the the it looks like the Earth has been rendered and mm. it looks kind of unrealistic. I wish they didn't have that scene. I wish yeah. they just showed her like descending and then left us to wonder. Left it ambiguous whether she yeah whether she survived or not. Exactly. That was, um, yeah. Anyway, but it's like I'm nitpicking. It's it's it is as you mm. said, it's a good film. So. Um, a good choice. Shall I do my number seven? Yes. Uh, my number seven is the. What's his name? Lagos Lanthimos? Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos film, The Favourite, with uh, yeah. Olivia Coleman and um, Rachel Wise and Rachel Wise and, and, and Emma Stone, um, which I loved. Uh, I've only I only saw it the once, but I loved it so much um, that uh, I had to put it on this list. I think that that it, Coleman puts in one of the great performances of the decade uh, rightfully just like was you know the utter runaway Oscar winner for best actress that year um, it was Rachel Weisz is brilliant yeah. in it um, the um, Emma Stone manages to be really good as well uh, which she no- isn't always and um, there are just some like really they're just fun performances all over this film and it is really well uh, very, very, very well shot extremely funny um, it, I think, is it's a graphic novel, isn't it? And it um, is it a graphic novel, like something or other like that. I can't remember. But because the has, people, because the people in the film are real, like the characters. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, but yeah. The characters are all sort of based on real situations. But yeah, it's it's a great non-obvious kind of evocation of the 18th century. You know, most of the time we see actors like Olivia Colman and Rachel Weisz in the 18th century. We're mm. looking at the sort of traditional BBC Jane Austen adaptation. This is very far from that. It's a lot of swearing. There's a lot of um, unusual behavior that we wouldn't normally associate with these kind of mannered um, genres. Also, it's shot in a very different kind of way. It's not yeah. shot like it would, like a period film would be. No, exactly. And um, cinematographer is Robbie Ryan, right? Um, so it's um, yeah, I, 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 and it's just again, it's just tremendous good fun. Um, and it again, and a in a decade that's dominated by. Uh, superhero films and sci-fi and shit like that you know to have a period film come along that is that dares to be different mm. um which i will you know i will return to that theme shall we say um that's really refreshing yeah. and um and yeah when this came out in 2018 2018 yeah we, we watched it and loved it so it is um uh if you haven't seen the favorite yet then do yourself a favor um and and, and watch it uh, it should be available everywhere uh, wherever good films are sold um but um uh yeah i mean it is this tw- the 2010s were the decade where olivia coleman really went from being yeah. kind of a reliable and much respected performer on british television mostly in comedies to being this the queen of like dramatic actresses yeah uh whether it was in 
the Night Manager, the John Le Carre adaptation, or whether it was in um, you know, Broad Church as well. Yeah, those kind of things. But all, and she'd done some other films like Tyrannosaur. Or, or, yeah, Tyrannosaur. Yeah. yeah, and stuff like that. You know, they, they, she started to become this serious mm. um, name, and you know, now it's just like her presence in any film is just such a guarantee of of at least that the, the acting will be good. Yeah. Um, but also, I will also say, Jorgos Lanthimos is a very intriguing filmmaker and his films have a very particular sense of humour. Yeah, yeah, I, I never saw The Lobster. Um, the Lobster's I... great. Um, the Killing of a Sacred Deer is also very good. His film from 2009, Dogtooth, is a... That's kind of like a... like a Has like a Lars von Trier kind of vibe to yeah, it. it. Sounds like it with a name like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, he's, he's very... I mean, hopefully he'll keep doing lots of films and mm. we'll enjoy them. Well, he's so. working on another film now. His new film, it's called... It's just, it's another funny titled movie. Um, what's it called? It's uh, not The Tale of Pig. And. It's oh. called And with, and? Capital, and with capital letters. And it has Emma Stone. And! <laughs> it's got Emma Stone, Margaret Qualley, uh, Andy McDowell's daughter, Willem Dafoe, Jesse Plemons, Hong Chow, uh, Joe Alwyn. Okay. Yeah, so... And. Well... Uh, what uh, and does what yeah. is your number seven uh, Argo fuck yourself Argo yeah oh, Argo didn't make it onto my list I'm glad it's on yours again very on brand yes. um, I like the way our personality emerges in these, uh, in yeah. these lists well, Argo's great fun Argo's a great film I think you know that was just a fantastic movie like I really I mean when I first saw the trailer for the movie and I saw how the trailer really focused a lot on the humour side of things with Argo I was a bit worried that because Affleck the two films that he'd done before that had been like Boston set, you know, thrillers, yeah. Gone Baby Gone. A sense of humor is not something you would usually associate with Ben Affleck. Yeah, Gone Baby Gone and then The Town, both of them very sort of very, you know, Boston y. Boston y, yeah, very Boston y, very sort of like, you know, sweary and, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. So when, you know, Ar- when I heard about Argo that he was doing that and George Clooney was producing it and stuff like and it, it felt like when I saw the trailer, I was like, okay, this could be either be a very funny film or a very serious film, or it's going to be both. And I think it's going to, the tone is going to, I think yeah, with these yeah. kind of films, you, you have to get really, it right. You yeah. got to, you got to get the, you know, you got to get the tonal. Yeah. You look at, look at, look at good. films like the monuments men or the men who stare at goats or other films with the word men in the title. Like these, there are a lot of these films that came out around these time, this time that were tempting to be funny with a serious subject. So they leaned a bit too heavily on the Coen brothers side of things, but yeah. forgetting what made, Coen Brothers films like Fargo or Burn After Reading really good. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's it's great that Argo can... And also, in the process of doing, you know, b- presenting itself as a series, you know, as one of the year's big films, which it was, you know, it walks this tightrope between making sure that the, uh, the the thrills are in there, that also that they, they actually impart a certain amount of meaning, you yeah. know, that they tell the story of... Uh, how you know the Shah of Iran was uh, deposed, you know, and 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 what a you know beastly character he was, but also then showing the uh, the revolutionaries as uh, mm-hmm. you know f- with uh, in, in all their you know violence and everything else. So it's like it has um, you know it has some some stuff to say as well as being um, just a great thriller about like the most basic thing of rescuing people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, there is obviously, I would say, a certain hint of the lingering Islamophobia from the noughties, um, but yeah. it's it's not as it's not as bad as as in like early as in earlier films. It's not, bad, not as bad as in the Hurt Locker, for example, which I think is, you know, has a thing where every time you see someone with brown skin in that film, they're like, oh, they're a terrorist. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. Whereas I think this film has a bit more nuance uh, than than that. Um, and 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 it's yeah, it's the the the, the fact that you get to see. 
all these character actors popping up like you know John Goodman Alan Arkin Mm. Michael Parks as well briefly as um, Jack Kirby Um, even Adrian Barbeau for like a really brief moment which is really great Um, great cast of actors like Kyle Chandler and Brian Cranston and people like that and um, Mm. it's a very it's a very good script from um, what's his name he won the Oscar for it as well uh, what's oh what's his fucking name? Sorry, I'm just gonna look him up really quickly. Uh, Feels like it's almost Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin adjacent, yeah. isn't it? But it's not. I'm glad Aaron Sorkin is not involved. In this uh, Chris Terrier, who uh, wrote films like Star Wars Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker, Batman vs Superman, and uh, the Justice League. Well, well, well. So he's uh, he's been in that sort of camp for a little bit. Okay. Well, it's it's a good choice. Uh, I've got to I've got to admire it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was it was close to getting on my list. It's funny we haven't had a single overlap yet. So no, we um, no. that's uh, that's intriguing. Um, the... I'm sure everyone's seen it, and yeah. it is very readily available. It was great but, seeing um, you because I was still at film school at the time, and that we were allowed to go to the London Film Festival, and I saw it. I had like a oh, pr- press actually, I do have one problem with the film. Um, Ben Affleck's character is supposed to be Hispanic. Yes, that's so it. That's that's he should not have played that character. No, no, he no, should no, have directed no. the film, and he should have let someone else play that. character. I think Ben Affleck is is a good director, and I and I think he's also an okay actor at times, and he's able to give good performances. But I feel like, and I think that's a problem with his film that he did after this called Live by Night. I think he should have. I think sometimes I think he needs to set like he did with Gone Baby Gone, like step behind the camera and let yeah. somebody else, you know, take take the reins a little. Possibly bit. an ego issue there. Anyway, should we do number six? Yes. Uh, number six for me is 12 Years a Slave uh, directed by uh, Steve McQueen not on my list uh, right interesting um, because um, well firstly because it's a very good film um, yeah. a, a replete with excellent performances by Chibatil Ijiofor and uh, um, should have won the Oscar in my opinion uh, who did that yeah McConaughey yeah yeah fucking hell what the, yeah Chibatil um, Ijiofor as I say and then there's um uh, the man who burst into everyone's consciences in this uh, decade. Um, what's his fucking name? Um, uh, Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. I, knew, I was like, he has the last name of a German director and it suddenly went out of my mind. I was like, um, Fassbender. It's not Michael Wenders. Like, <laughs> um, well, you know, it's, 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 it's a brutal film about um, you know, this man who is kidnapped and enslaved it's based on the true story of solomon northrop of course um i have the book but i haven't read it yet um it uh yeah i mean it it's it avoids um a lot of the pitfalls of uh movies that try and deal with slavery um but still you know it, it, there is a bit of a white savior character in brad pitt who shows up and you know he's one of the producers and he puts himself in the film as someone who's like doing the right thing and showing how wrong slavery is but it shows every level of, um, you know, the kind of perniciousness and evil that makes the slave yeah. system. Um, so you have a supposedly benign, um, you know, planter aristocrat in the name of, you know, in the form of Benedict Cumberbatch, who, you know, it's just, but you, when you actually look at it, is is no no better really yeah. than Fassbender's character, you know, in the, in the way he behaves and, in his moralizing, his sermonizing, and and his you know his kind of um, just utter hypocrisy. Um, it's um, we also were introduced, uh, of course, in the film to Lupita Nyong'o, who won the 
Best Supporting Actress. Best Supporting Actress. I was very happy she won over because a lot of people were thinking that Jennifer Lawrence was going to win again for American Hustle. And I was very glad that Christoph Waltz read her name out instead of Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Um, It is, um, uh, you know, it's so so visceral. I watched it in a cinema in Brixton with a largely black Mm. audience. And it was the, it's one of the films I remember the audience reactions to the most strongly. I mean, it was, there was a lot of pain, um, pain, fee- a lot of people feeling the pain of, of that um, film, and it is hard to watch, and it should it be. A very hard film I'm to glad watch. it's directed by a black director. I'm glad that in the um, in the publicity and the and in the awards season around the film, you know, he took so much time to talk about modern slavery as well, and mm. um, and yeah, and having spent a decent amount of time actually reading the history myself, you know, this this is um, a great. Uh, you know, it, it it is a great meditation on that history. It's a great evocation yeah. of it, and it you know it's a corrective to you know films like Gone with the Wind, which still dominate that people's imagination about what the old South was like. You know, um, so um, I think I think yeah, I think Twelve Years a Slave was really important, and yeah. of course it came around the time. I mean, it came out in twenty thirteen. You know, so it's a little bit before, but around you know. This is the decade where the movement for Black Lives will yeah. will coalesce, and where well, you know, obviously, this is a decade of Obama as well, but uh, and Trump, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we, um, um, you know, you will see you know, over this, over this, yeah, you know, over the following ten years, you know, a, a, the conversation around specifically anti-black racism grow worldwide. So I feel like, on some level, the film is part of that mm. impulse. So yeah, I saw I saw it at a cinema in Brookline. Oh, interesting. Well, cinema, cinema that only had like one screen, which was really nice. Well, that is interesting. Um, uh, okay. Well, uh, what's your number f- six? My number six is six is uh, a uh, an Asian uh, horror film called Train to Busan. Oh, I haven't seen this, and you have talked to me about it. It features on our much loved train, train episode. Yeah, I think it's a very much a product of now i think it's really i think it fits very well in the sort of well it's not a product of now because it came out no but, the it, last decade. but it feels i think like <laughs> yes, it, it's it, i know what you mean it, contemporary it, resonance contemporary i think it in the way that it really kind of shows society breaking down because of a contagious and ravenous disease uh, turns people into zombies and it's an incredibly frightening film and also at the heart of the film it is a, it is about a dad trying to reconnect with Sorry, my phone had a little bit of static. It's about it's a film about a dad trying to reconnect with his daughter, and I think that is a very moving aspect of the film. And he's a very he's a workaholic, and he's not present in a lot of her life. In the beginning of the film, you see that she was at a talent show and she couldn't do the song that she was supposed to perform because her dad wasn't there, and it's a really kind of like sad moment. And also, an even even more tragic moment is when he buys her a Wii video game or like a Wii set. And then you look over and it's like, oh, he's already bought her that. Oh, idiot. Yeah, so... <laughs> that's good. That's good yeah. stuff. I like I like it when horror films also have, yeah. you know, but something else going on. But the thing, it does some really great moments because it's like, it's got some great characters on the train. Even some characters that you, like, fucking hate. There's one character who's like this, this businessman who just, like, manages to, like, fuck everything up and, like, very much... You need that guy in a horror survival, film, Survival of the fittest kind of person. And he's sort of, like, in one scene, he, like, turns everyone away and then leave someone to die so he can live and everything like that so you have like that character as well and then you have uh you know this big guy trying to protect his pregnant wife and he's like um he i forgot the actor's name but he's actually in eternals the uh, chloe Zhao marvel film and he's really good 
Um, Don't those zombies move really fast? They film? move really fast, but there's a scene. Feels like cheating. There's a scene in the film where they have to get to the other other characters where there's some survivors, but there's a lot of zombies in between. And they realize when they go through a tunnel, when it goes dark, that's when the zombies become prone and they can't do anything. So then they look at the phone being like, oh, wait, we can move through here because there's going to be a really long tunnel for miles. And it's an incredibly tense scene in the film. And, you know, it manages to keep the film exciting and suspenseful and keep you engaged even when most of the movie takes place on a very fast moving, you know, train. And, um, yeah, they've made like a sequel called uh, Peninsula, which I really want to watch. Nice. Yeah, it does sound really exciting. I can't wait to see it. Um, I, uh, don't remake it Hollywood <laughs> yeah right yeah train to Pittsburgh um, except yeah they can't do that because there are no trains in America that move at high speeds you would just have you, you would have you couldn't have that tunnel so you could go through a really long tunnel they'd be in there for like an hour yeah because um, the Amtrak trains move very slowly oh yes okay um, number five is it yes okay uh, this is turning out to be longer than we hoped but that's just the way it goes sometimes um, that's just the way my okay well, I, I, we can I can move at speed ish through this one uh, number five Toy Story 3 uh, what a fantastic uh, way to end that franchise it would have been if they hadn't made a fourth <laughs> but they it, it is a wonderful I'd still I have not seen Toy Story 4 because for me Toy Story 3 is the perfect ending to to a series of films that I cherish truly that uh, for me some of the most special memories i have of watching films as a child involved the first toy story Mm -hmm. uh both in the cinema and at home um and and toy story 3 is is sort of towards the end of this kind of like miraculous sequence of uh, pixar movies but it is it is just such a it packs such an emotional punch the bit where the aliens ride the claw yeah, is one of the most beautiful pieces of and also well I mean there's so many parts it's of a very the, 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 the moment yeah. in the movie especially oh. in like one scene where you feel like oh my god they're, they're all gonna die they're gonna die yeah it's like, this has turned into a film about the holocaust like yeah it's like and it really I mean it is an incredibly beautiful melancholic film and, and, and it dares to be so uh, poignant you know about the passage of time and about people growing uh, old and you know, moving on. I mean, that that whole concept of moving on, you know, is yeah. so is so tragic and it's so loaded. And this is a fucking kids film, and it manages to like it. It manages to 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 do all that stuff. And it, I mean, it is it is stunningly um, done. And, and I think just um, it, and and you know, it's 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 also a sort of it, you know, each of those three films has a different kind of tone. You yeah. Know? And um, the first one is just the wonder, you know, yeah. and it's it's the it's the pizza planet. So the second one is like there's a bit more emotion in it, but there's also a lot of goofiness. Yeah, this film is is, is like the main thing I remember for this one is it's just dark. <laughs> it's so dark, <laughs> it's just and it has two. It has two. It also has like two scary characters that have you know two of the scariest characters I've ever seen in an animation film: the monkey and the baby. Yes. Um, the monkey who keeps an eye on all the security, yeah, but it also has Get all of our that monkey, all of our old favorites, and um, yeah, it's uh, the the it is yeah. It, Ned Beatty as uh, lots of hugging bear. Yeah, Ned Beatty had a couple of great uh, performances in animated films in the yeah, 2010s. That, that and Rango. 
Uh, anyway, I love it. So what's your number five? Yeah, so my number five is a movie I feel like you haven't seen, and it's a movie called Blind Spotting, which was released in 2018. It's directed I've never by... Never even heard of it. It's directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada, who did the, who directed the movie... I think he co-directed the movie... Uh, no, yeah, co-directed uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, a Disney film with uh, Kelly Marie Tran. And the movie is... Uh, it's written by... Uh, David Diggs, who is an actor from... He was in Hamilton. Okay. And, and Raphael Cassell. And they both star in the film as... Um, David Diggs plays Colin and Raphael Cassell plays Miles. So the movie takes place in Oakland. And it deals a lot with gentrification, uh, racism, and, uh, you know, p- police brutality and things like that. Hence blind spotting. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it deals a little bit with that. So the film stars... So, like I said, Colin is played by David Diggs, and it's set during the last three days of his probation, because at the beginning of the film, he's about to go to prison, Mm -hmm. and it's revealed later in the film why he went to prison in a very sort of hilarious flashback, but that one that turns very intense and dark, and it's like, oh, it's this, we're not supposed to be laughing at this uh, kind of thing. And and he is on his probation, and he's, um, you know, he's living in a halfway home that he has to be back before, and he ha- and he's sort of dealing with the guy who says like, oh, you got to do all these chores, you haven't done them yet, and every time he sees them, it's like you haven't done these chores, you got to do them, and everything, and he's also uh, dealing with problems with his girlfriend who's not quite ready to, you know, because of what why he went to prison. And he also has to deal with his best friend, Miles, who is a bit of a troublemaker, and he's a white guy or Hispanic or something, and he sort of identifies as black and sort of lives that sort of culture and has a black girlfriend and a son and things like that. Interesting. And, you know, it, the sort of, it, the sort of inciting incident of the film is David Diggs, character witnessing a man running away from a police officer played by Ethan Embry and the police officer guns the man down. Oy. And it sort of lingers very heavily on him throughout the film and it's just you know him him dealing with that because the, there's this, after the the man the person who was being chased away is shot, they lock eyes and then you know, so there's a really like well wow. it's an incredibly powerful film and very well done. There's some like great visual ideas and editing is really good as well and it's very funny as well. Like there's some great like that's amazing that it manages ones. to be so heavy and not it's, it's not like Crash. It's not no like no no no, no. it's not like Crash at all. It's it's it, it, definitely not like Crash. Mm-hmm. But no, it's an. In- I went into it really blind and um, I was incredibly it really stuck with me I really want to watch well, yeah, it again did it come out again 2018 oh yeah 2018 yeah. but yeah, yeah but just yeah. the last the penultimate scene of the film where David Diggs delivers this like very powerful monologue but as a rap song mm. like a spoken rap song is probably the best one of the best moments in the movie wow no, I, I, won't, I, won't spoil, I won't spoil too much about that scene, but it's it, it's it's incredibly done, and I'm it's a shame it never got uh, any like Oscar nominations for screenplay because it, it should have done because it's a very well written film. Yeah, well, Hollywood's got its blind spots as well, I guess. But um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, I, I'd lo- I'd love to see that. Well, my number four. Now they're in the top half. Um, my number four is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, Still haven't seen that. Which is oh, it's a uh, so another unusual uh, period film. Um, it is a. Um, uh, I'm trying to find out who directed it. Just Celine, for a uh, I, Celine Schiama, um, or Schiama. I think it's Schiama. I think um, she was in a relationship with one of the actors. She in the film. was. Um, yes, I believe it was with um, the one 
wait a second. Yeah, with 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 Adele. Enel, I think, is the one. Uh, maybe or what? Well, she was with one of them anyway. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. the film centers on a romantic, um, a love story between two women in eighteenth or nineteenth century, I think nineteenth century France. Mm-hmm. Um, the one is a painter who goes to paint the portrait of a reclusive daughter of a uh, of a woman who's mar- trying to marry her off into a better, you know, situation. Yeah. Um, and the two fall hopelessly in love with one another. Mm. There are some. Tr- just fantastic scenes of um, uh, of of two characters falling in love of, of that are extremely moving and very um, erotic. True to to, to to be to be true. Uh, to be fair, um, there is um, there's also a great deal of just excellent female camaraderie in this yeah. film. And you know, I don't. Is it entirely female cast? Uh no. There's a couple of blokes here and there, okay. but like, um, you, no, but not a lot. I mean. Uh, it it more than passes the Bechtel test, um, but it um, you know th- there is an excellent scene where there is um, a-, a gathering of women on a beach around a fire, which is where the film actually gets mm. its title, and um, in- involving a sort of folk singing that feels very um, that feels very goddessy. You know, it feels yeah. like this is a gathering of a different kind of religion than the one which a patriarchal society you're normally imposes on women like which is a religion that tells them that they are compromised flawed you know that talks about the adam and eve is i i partly say this because i just read um the hearing trumpet by leonora carrington which you know is also a kind of film that takes a different you know a, a more feminist view of 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 the world and and this is this is a a, a great uh you know, a great feminist statement, I think. Um, without, you know, be, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it does, it doesn't become predictable or annoying or 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 or, yeah. or hectoring at any point. It, it's not. It, you don't sense in any way the presence of some kind of male, and I don't mean that in a direct way, but the sort of a chauvinist voice being like, "See how badly women were treated." It just it takes the treatment of women as 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 you know the the the, the way society treats women as just an you know that is a fact of life and so but it shows how actually that that treatment of women does not actually represent how women think and feel and Mm. so um what it then shows you is um you know is a counter narrative that is it's just really really excellent and um um and it's yeah it's just a a, a truly lovely film and it's also gorgeous i mean the production design and the cinematography it looks looks incredible yeah oh man the colors everything and it's just so beautiful i mean it really um it's a it's a good it's a nice looking film um and uh and the ending is is really quite something yeah really really quite something so watch it and uh and you will see um what is your number four so my number four is a movie called is a norwegian film called oslo august 31st by uh joachim trio Oh, okay, so we've got uh, so we've got two Norwegian films in our in our, in yeah. our list. Uh, so okay, Joachim Trier. Yeah. So the reason, I mean, Joachim Trier is actually he went to European Film College. He went to Abelsoft. Wow, but so, not the same time as you. Not at the same time no, as no, me. No, no. Years, years before. So um, on the bus up to the open day that I went to the few months before, I decided to apply to go there. They had showed a couple of of his films on the bus. But I kind of zoned in and out of it because I had to get up early, so I was sleeping and listening to podcasts. And they showed Reprise and Oslo 30, August 31st. So it was the first two films in his Oslo trilogy. And the third film is the one that just came out recently, The Worst Person in the World. Yes, which, is which obviously is getting a great deal of attention. Yeah, so 
You've never seen this movie, have you? I've never seen any of them, no. So, yeah, it's it was released in 2011, and um, the film stars Anders uh, uh, Danielson Lee, who also plays a character called Anders. That's why I like it so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, he, he is, uh, he's a recovering drug addict who has been staying in a treatment center for his uh, drug addiction. He was addicted to heroin, and he's been given a day away from the um, from the institution to go for a job interview. And during that sort of time, he sort of tries to reconnect with old friends and his family. Um, his family home is being sold and all that sort of thing. So it's it's all set over, 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 over you know, 24 hours and him kind of wrestling with um, a lot of things. And um, I really like this movie a lot because it hit me in a really big emotional way. Um, there was quite a lot with the character that I kind of emotionally resonated with. Not just because we share the because same, because not, called not just because we share the same name. <laughs> well, and because you're addicted to heroin, but yeah. No, uh, but shut up. <laughs> uh, Anders is not a junkie. But like, and uh, Anders Danielson Lee's performance is brilliant. It's very intense, but again, very a very quiet, intense sort of scene. It has like, I really like Joachim Trier's style. It's really really get into like the drama of everything and it's very mm. well done he's his film um thelma is, is also a really good film as well and also his american film louder than bombs with um uh what's his name from usual suspects gabriel byrne and jesse eisenberg is really mm. good um maybe not his best work but I, I i really enjoyed it there's a very like very sincere and moving way that joachim trier um portrays this kind of idea of detachment in life and trying to muster some sort of you know, aim and drive and trying to figure out what you want to do. And, um, you know, it's very, I, I think very powerful in the way that, you know, without becoming too overdramatic and very sort of like Americanized, if you know what I mean. In that yeah. sort of sense. No, of course. But, you know, it never becomes, it, it, it's I feel like we're saying that a lot of, about a lot of the films on this list. Yeah, it's like, it's, there are a couple of ways to do films like this about, you know, the, about addiction, about mental health stuff. And it's like, yeah. you can do it in the cheesy way with like still Alice, you know, with, with, uh, um, uh, what's Julianne, Moore. Julianne Moore and or you could do a more you know which is like Oscar Beatty and manipulative yeah. and stuff and it's like you know just trying to make the audience cry or you can say we're going to be honest and kind of raw about this and might put some people off but other people will find it more relatable and in any case it'll be much more honest you know the, the art has to reflect yeah. kind of truth on some level and and I think that you know the sort of highly aestheticized, the aestheticized way yeah, that crises, yeah. like personal crises, are depicted in Hollywood. I think isn't very particularly helpful a lot of the time, and I think that this kind of thing can have a lot more beauty in it, despite the fact that mm. I mean, I've not seen it, of course, but despite the fact that maybe on the surface it's more uncomfortable. Yeah, it has. A, it's a very, very subtle moving and very not melodramatic and very quietly moving, which I really like, and mm. also. A very well paced film. I mean, it's only I think it's only ninety minutes, but it's it's incredibly well paced and has a very cool kind of like a bit of a French New Wave sort of style to it. Oh, so, right. so yeah, ninety four minutes and um, does make you want to go to Oslo because Oslo is a very nice city. Well, there you go. Well, I, I I will yeah. I will hundred percent check that out. Um, my number three is uh, not so much quietly moving it as utterly devastating. It is a, um, a Thomas Winterberg's film, The Hunt, yeah, in, in Danish, which. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, which deals with a primary school teacher played by Mass Mikkelsen, as if <laughs> Mass Mikkelsen could ever work at a primary school, but whatever, yeah. you just look past that, 
who is accused of being a pedo, and um, and and um, you know, no, you know, all jokes aside, he's, he's wrongfully accused of being a um, a pedophile, and uh, the cost of that accusation is examined in awful detail throughout that film like whether it's the so ostracizing yeah, it is a fucking downer this movie like if you are in a bad mood people do not watch this film if you are feeling upset in any way do not watch this film have a drink handy have some bloody kleenex handy because you're gonna need to cry yeah, yeah. it is um it is just devastating and and, and um and so um, it makes you very angry at oh everyone god in the movie. and angry at society and the way it works and it's not just in Denmark obviously but just everywhere that sort of way in which people gang up on people and yeah. and the 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 tendency we have to you, to be driven by fear and outrage before we stop to think and and yeah. just the 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 meanness of ordinary people is um yeah is extraordinary misunderstanding as well <laughs> <laughs> sorry sneeze yeah, that's news. Um, you know, so I mean, there's not a lot to say. That you know, Vindabert has done some incredible films. We've talked yeah. about Druck. We've talked about First Festen, the celebration. Um, he's there's, also there's done a lot film, of sort films of forgettable did... films that, that hasn't done. Yeah. So I feel like you could put this in that trilogy with another round and, and the celebration, sort of in the middle of them. Um, and I think that he's, you know. Obviously, he's still quite young, um, but where I think we look back at his filmography, it will be less of a like, wow, like Hitchcock, like bang, 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 yeah, every yeah. film, you know, a great film every year. It'll be more like one of those directors like uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer, to name another Dane, you know, who just like released, a, you know, a handful of superlative films. And this is really a, you know, truly almost flawless film. I think um, it's one, it's one uh, drawback is perhaps that it doesn't, complicate quite enough perhaps that you know what's going on and 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 um and there are some um you know that there, 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 sometimes it, it it might be guilty of going a little bit too far away so i think another round is much more yeah. kind of uh is much more willing to like you know first of all use humor but also to to show lots of different sides of the same issue um, and and sort of moves, I think, with slightly more fluency. But it, that's nitpicking. I mean, this is yeah, an almost perfect yeah, yeah. film. It, it is. Um, it's anchored by one of the great uh, modern male performances by one of the great modern male performers, Mass Middleton, who yeah. is um, astonishingly good uh, in this one. Um, you know, and the fact that he evolved from this like Danish heartthrob in in thrillers to becoming this, you know, and, and uh, leaving aside. You know his work in Hollywood and things like the Bond or the Star Wars universe, but you know the fact that he has become an actor of enormous heft mm. uh, when he need, when he wants to be uh, is a huge credit to him because he could have just taken the easy route. You know, after Bond, you know he could just say, "All right, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do, yeah, I'm going to be a, a, a non-specific European villain in a series of." Um, you know franchises, um, and I'll do very well through it. But he obviously has an artistic. <coughs> An artistic sensibility um, that you know drives him, and I think um, that his partnership with Thomas Vinterberg is a truly, uh, a truly exciting one. Um, you know, hopefully there'll be more to come. I, I'm Vinterberg's movies are. Um, I think he's when, they, when, think... They, when they're good, they're very good. So I really hope uh, I really hope he does. He gets the chance to do more and and more. You know, more in Danish. It really feels like that's his. 
metier like working in this country yeah um, i think he's done like a tv show i think he's doing a tv show at the moment he is and actually you know where it's filming they were filming it around here here around here yeah, yeah. anyway uh you what's your number three my number three is another alfonso Cuaron film and that's roma yeah roma roma was the one film that i really wanted to find room for on my list and i couldn't um uh the other one uh, there was a couple of honorable mentions i'll name like skyfall and midsummer mm. but um yeah roma's great yeah I just it's a beautiful film and also just like when I saw it in the cinema in the in the in the Imperial Cinema in, in Copenhagen it was part of the Copenhagen Picks Festival which sadly is not around anymore oh fuck yeah which is a shame because they actually showed some really interesting films um there's the times when I went to to go to them but like just the the just the scale of the film is really good like you, again you feel immersed in the movie and also yep. it just I, I love black and white cinematography. I think it's 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 amazing. I just any any black and white movie, I'm just like, oh, that's that's for me. But no, it's an a moving film, a moving film about class culture in Mexico in the seventies. And it's sort um, of a memoir, isn't it? Really? Yeah, definitely a memoir and a, a semi autobiographical uh, movie. And um, apologies if I get her name wrong, uh, Yelitsa uh, Aprizio, who plays Cleo, the the cleaner. Who this was her first big film and um she oh she her performance is incredible yeah it's an incredible so good yeah i i think and i don't know who won best actress oh wait it was olivia coleman yeah <laughs> no, i mean yeah. but this is a it is a great really really brilliant uh, piece of acting and yeah um a f- yeah and, and a film that you just don't really know at any point where it's really gonna go or anything like that and um it's uh you know it's, it it's the, it sort of feels um it feels kind of like it feels like real life, you know. It feels like yeah, real life yeah, on screen. Yeah. That, that that this is this is what growing up in a family is, but also this is what like society, you know, what can happen in society mm. sometimes. And uh, uh, it shows all this stuff, um, you know. And and it it reminds me to pay more attention to Latin American culture and cinema because mm. there's so much in Mexico that I don't, you know, Mexican history and Mexican music, Mexican. Yeah. film that I don't uh, know and it and watching this I was like I was struck by that and mm. um, and uh, you know definitely as someone who lives in that, in, yeah. in uh, you know the El Norte in the in the United States you know I don't I feel like I should have more of a, a of an awareness and and it's but also just like we are not interested in making films for the most part about people who live outside of basically like New York or Los Angeles and like very rich white people are living in those places and yet whenever a film comes out that does move outside of that universe and does get the backing it deserves it usually is really tremendous and Mm. so um, I hope Roma and the success it enjoyed will pave the way for others but who knows yeah (laughs) But I'm really glad you put it on your list. And yeah, I kind of, I know, re- I kind of regret I didn't put it on mine, but um, I yeah. just thought just watching it was just one of those movies where I just really I just it's that Charles Lawton quote when he was talking about Night of the Hunter. Who was the actress who plays the old lady? Lillian Gish? Yeah, when well, he was taking the, saying to Lillian Gish, "I don't want people to sit back in the seats. I want to look up. I want them to sit and look up, sit that, forward, yeah, sit forward." And that's how it was with Roma. I was just completely glued to the screen the whole time because I was just completely engaged by it, and also just because of like. Thinking, right, thinking to myself, how the hell did he do a lot of these crowd scenes, and how did he shoot all these things? And it's just there's so much. Yeah, and as you say, the black and white is is, yeah. is 
fucking wonderful and it's like snippets of life that's happening yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. the way that it's almost semi-documentary but, but it's also you know what yeah. it's like it's like a novel I yeah. mean, it really feels like you're reading a novel. The way it, yeah. the way it treats its characters. And it, it, after I watched it, I was convinced it had been five hours long. But it's like a, no, it's yeah. a two hour movie, isn't it? Two hour movie. Yeah. yeah, it felt like it does feel a little bit like. I mean, and when I say that, I, I mean that in a good way. I mean yeah. that as a compliment. It feels incredibly immersive. Just over two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It had the. It does have a bit of a Antonioni style to it, which is quite nice. Even though I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Antonioni, I think you have to be like a you have to have a bit of patience for his movies. Um, like um, like, like what like what, what's a good what's one you would compare oh something like to? Blow Up or uh, Laventura or something like that. Yeah, I think the one of his I like La Notte has there's a touch of La Notte in the yeah. party scene in this film. Yeah, La Clice with um, Monica Vitti is a very good film. I think that the late Monica Vitti. The late Monica Vitti, yeah. yeah. Which I saw I saw that movie on the Criterion Channel. Um, that I think is. Probably my favorite of Antonio's movies so far that I've seen. Well, anyway, um, but yeah, Rome is great. We go down a the yeah. side street there. It's very, uh, very is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm ashamed to, of I, myself. I, I shouldn't I, put it on my list, but I, I want to watch it again. But I just, yeah. I need to like, I don't know. It's been, I haven't seen it since it came out. Nor have I. Yeah. I definitely would watch it again though. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I would watch it on Netflix or I'd get the Criterion Collection D, a Blu-ray of it. I think people should buy physical media. That's yes. my opinion. Um, so, number two... I'm guessing your number two is probably the same as my number two. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh, uh, number two is also funny because it means poo. Um, but, uh, so, what, what, what is your number... What, what, is, what is it? Get out. No, it is! <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I'm pretty sure your number one is going to be the same as mine as well. Oh, let's talk about Get Out at the same time. Yes. All right. You go first. Uh, fantastic movie. Yeah, right. right. Just, next, next, no, yeah. I, I just, I don't know. Like, oh, you know what? I actually watched it the other night. It's fresh, fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, it's it's so bloody like it's exciting so and and and, yeah. vis- and scary like it's truly very scary. It's very intense. I think it's an incredibly intense and disturbing film in a lot of ways, and I wouldn't have expected that from the the one half of Key and Peele. <laughs> right? Yeah, because this is really his first. This was his first big directorial debut, Fuck, I mean, and he won on. an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, and yeah. a very well-deserved win for that for, for that film. And also, this was like a big break for Daniel Kaluuya, who is amazing in the film. And yeah. I, I only know him; I only knew him from that the second episode of Black Mirror, where he's in. Uh, it's the I can't remember the name of it. It's it's in the first season. It's this episode two, and uh, he was fantastic in, in yeah. that. And he's since then he's been in. Everything. Everything, yeah. Um, he's... Um, Judas and the Black Messiah, another yeah, great performance. He's obviously also most well-known for narrating the Amazon documentary about Arsenal. Or, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I mean, his his uh, his performance is, is, is great. I also... Um, I mean, just the whole... The way the film works, the, the, the way it shows you... I mean, it's, it's interesting to think about it on a, on a continuum with 12 Years a Slave yeah. because you've got that sort of at the start of this decade when people are starting to fucking wake up a little bit to, to, the, to the realities wake up. Of, of the lived experiences of black people. And what I... I mean, I know it's been said before and this is a tedious point, but like the thing that this film does at its core and what it's there to do is to reveal the ordinary ways in which white people, white liberals are racist. Yeah. Leave aside the whole murder plot thing yeah um, sorry not my microphone over. but if you leave if you leave aside the plot for a second and yeah, just yeah, look yeah. at the first act of the film mm-hmm. whether it's um, you know encountering the police officer or encountering his girlfriend's family Chris Daniel Kaluuya's character faces 
the what we would you know what you would just call not even dog whistle not even microaggressions but just that sort of regular droning white cluelessness that is the bane of so many yes. black people's lives and then of course it switches over and he faces this kind of nightmare this and it does start to resemble 12 years a slave yeah. because he does wake up in chains he is forced to do things against his will his body is being auctioned you mm-hmm. know is being is being sold he was going to become the property of you know his personhood is being taken away yeah. the the eloquence also of this idea of the sunken place is so the the, the, sim- so the symbolism of, of yeah, that yeah. is I mean, it's fantastic i mean it really is and so you know this i think this film had a tremendous impact on the conversation when it came out because i think it just like embarrassed a lot of study people. in movies and no no study in in, uh, in universities as well yeah yeah no i mean my um i know several people who use it as a as a teaching tool and stuff so i I, um, your boss uh, yeah Whitney my boss uh, has certainly used I mean I, th- I think so has certainly talked about it but I also think that um, um, you know it's just it, you when it was in when it was doing the rounds in the award season I was listening to you know a lot of podcasts and radio in America and it, you know really there was a lot of kind of like you know white liberal shows on npr or ever being like yeah shit fuck you know we we do have to yeah wake, wake up a little bit here but also in the way that it, it, it the way that sort of white people look at like they the way that they sort of trying to find the white words for it it's like the way that they kind of di- they are with black culture and music and that sort of the way they kind of like oh i identify so much with this or that I don't yeah, know. yeah yeah listening to yeah the white guys who listen to hip-hop before they go and hit the trading floors in wall street or whatever, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely i mean like the, the, but it, i think the film just lifts this veiled and does this amazing thing of putting you in the putting you as a us as white or you as white audience members in this uh position where the you know we have to empathize because um uh, because the film is so immersive and so frightening and um and and it's very clever what he does in all of his films in that he's um, good at foreshadowing and he's good at very good at foreshadowing he's good at paying things off as well yeah he's 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 very good at using Chekhov's gun very well yes yes absolutely but the other thing that you notice in this and in us and to some extent in nope is the way that black other black people become a source of safety and comfort Mm -hmm. and how unusual it is for a film of any kind to present a black space as a safe space yeah um usually in films um you know uh that, that that is either it's either a space of of drama of comedy or of yeah. violence you know in a lot of a lot of mainstream movies anyway um and in in whenever you have black characters together in this film and in uh in, in the others i mentioned you know you you know that nothing bad is going to happen yes um although there are certain scenes in us where that doesn't apply but whatever um rod the, the yeah, character yeah, rod yeah, yeah, yeah. who's he played by lil, uh, lil rel uh howry uh his he's just like he's a miracle in this film because not only um is his presence at the end just so important to resolving the narrative but his presence as a like off-stage hilarious interlocutor like his rant about jeffrey Dahmer is so <laughs> fucking hilarious uh, he does have some great lines but also my favorite moment is when he calls him up again when he says like oh that lakeith sanfield's character that's andre you know on, on andre yeah. hayworth you know and then like is the way he says like no shit why is he dressed like that yeah it's not just that he was with a white woman sex slave 
Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, the, the, Keith Stanfield, by the way, does a does an incredible job yeah. in this film because he I had forgotten that he's also in the opening of the movie and that's yeah. that that's the his character and so. Um, yeah, I mean, he... Um... But the way that it kind of reveals certain things, like when he takes the picture of the phone and it flashes in the eyes and then he's just standing there and oh, then you just like, you sort of think like, okay, that's important, so we have to... But also when you realise what is happening there, makes, you, yeah. you, you, you see how desperately sad these, you know, these expressions that those characters get when they've been photographed yeah. is, is, so, um, is so devastating and then you, you see it... Um, he replays it in the scene where Chris has explained, you know, more yeah, about yeah. this procedure he's about to undergo, which we don't want to spoil to anyone no, else. No, no, no. So if, you, if somehow you're listening to this and haven't watched Get Out, then you need to get out and watch <laughs> the film. Yeah. It did have a much darker alternative ending that they cut out of the movie. Really? Yeah. Can you, tell, tell me about that offline. Yeah. I'll I'll tell, want, I want to hear about they, that. They, they, they had actually filmed it and they actually, but I think Jordan Peele went against it because he wanted a much more positive sort of ending positive sort of ending yeah but yeah, yeah. but it, it, it um without spoiler it does sort of it, the alternative ending was much more reflective of the time that we're living in if that makes sense all right um yeah uh tell me about that when yeah, we stop yeah, recording yeah. i am intrigued okay well, let's talk about number one so you can tell me about that uh is it the same number one that we have yeah, can it? Well, it must be, isn't it? Because we haven't talked. We, I can't believe this film wouldn't be on this. Parasite, right? Parasite. 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 June Ho's Parasite. Well, yeah. it saves us some time. Um, yes. Parasite is bah, fucking hell. It's like uh, it's like Hitchcock came back to life and made a movie in Korea. I mean, it's like it is such a oh talk about a film that's of our time as well. Yeah. The class stuff and the environmental stuff and. Um, incredibly well-made movie as well. Also, like Get Out features a very a house features pro- the house plays an important role in the yeah. film. House with a basement that no one goes in. <laughs> Hang on a minute, there are some serious connections here. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, the, just, and uh, the funniness of this film as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just all the characters are well written. I love the performances of the family and just, just it, it. It's such a like surprising film, and I remember watching it in a Danish cinema in, in Copenhagen. It was great for me just to kind of watch it with a big packed audience because you very rarely see that nowadays. And I think just and the reaction that everyone had to the film when the movie takes a little bit of a turn. A little bit of a turn. A bit of a turn. You could just kind of feel the energy. Richard was sitting, I I internally was going, What the fuck is going on? I was I was like that as well. The door opens to the basement like, what the fuck is down there? What the What is happening? And then and then everything else. And then just like I remember that scene where they show the boy he's in the in the kitchen and then you see the head popping up. <laughs> and I just remember everyone in the cinema just cackling with laughter. Oh, there are so many funny Respect! The, the funny bits in that film are so funny, but also the bits that are like also the violence as well. Violence, very, yeah, like, the violence is but also just the like the bits where you have the class stuff is is exposed, like there's that bit where I mean, there's 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 a bit that's become a meme actually of the of um, the uh, Mr. Uh, Park being driven by what's what's that what's the other uh, family's name? Um, um, but yeah, he's being the the father the, of the, uh, the, the Kim family. Kim family. Yeah. So the father of the Kim family is driving Mr. Park, and there's he 
is being talked at by this rich guy about all the rich guy's opinions and problems and whatever. Yeah. And he's just like, fuck this idiot. And this, that like, image has become this like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, whenever, whenever, you know, one of these fucking nincompoops um, with a bunch of dollars opens their mouths, you know, they say something like that. And I'm sure you and I say stuff yeah, like this kind yeah, of shit yeah. all the time, you know, as privileged white people. It's like, um, but, but also that scene where like he's driving the, the park, the matriarch of the park family and she's talking about like the rain and how they went home and everything oh it's like oh we saved ourselves and the rain saved that whole i can't remember the line exactly uh, yeah it saved a whole triple uh, yeah it's, and it's, then and then knowing what happens in the yeah, kids family the rain, as well like yeah it's actually for, for them was kind of existential yeah it's um it's so it's so eloquent about our time and i think the stuff about specifically climate even though the, that scene in the rain only mm. happens it's it's not a long scene but it feels so vital to understanding the film it's so sad as well it's I remember, incredibly sad i remember seeing that for the first that, that's time another, was, that's another moment where the yeah. film also turns really yeah. where, where it where it flips from being one thing to another you know there is a sense in which the first kind of half of the film is a bit sort of madcap happy-go-lucky yeah, and yeah, the stakes yeah. are very low and then all of a sudden the stakes become like awful. Yeah. And, it's just, um, it's just the whole, that whole ending's really sad as well. Yeah, I know it's tragic, <laughs> but, but the whole birthday sequence is just, Oh, it's like a tour de force. Yeah. It's, it, I, I love the way he sets up this film, just like the, the design of the film, the geography of the film is just like really yeah. cleverly done. Like, I feel like I could walk to that house, you know, like it, it's so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it, it, I've seen the film precisely twice, but I think I have a concrete memory of almost every scene. Like I yeah, didn't, yeah, yeah. when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, it's this scene next. Yeah. Like I, I, when I watch that film, I feel like I'm watching a film I've seen 50 times, mm. which also, shows that there's a potency to the imagery. In the yeah. Movie. But also I think like, I think the, that noodle dish Ram Dong got pretty popular as well. After yeah. Which is just made up, up, isn't it? It's yeah, just it's ram, ramen and something else. Beef and chicken, I think. Yeah. It's, it's just pork. a completely made yeah, up yeah, thing. Yeah. Which is, uh, which obviously I didn't know when I was watching it, but yeah, I found out subsequently. It did make me very hungry while watching. Just yeah, it's a good food scene. Good food scene. Did it? Uh, did it make our list? It probably didn't. Maybe it did. I don't think it did. No. Oh. Well, probably should it represent. Yeah. Maybe, maybe well, food knows? scenes point two are probably in there. Well, um, look, um, but also I'm happy that the film won a lot of Oscars as well and being recognised, and also for winning the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, and just it became this blockbuster hit it was i'm, I'm very right. happy and you know what it came out right as the decade was drawing to a close and yeah. right as we were about to experience this turbulence that was covid and i one of the images i most remember associated with the publicity around this or the, the excitement around this film was when covid was already starting to happen and in early 2020 taika waititi and Bong Joon Ho arrived at some they were in a film like festival an airport, yeah. and they took and they were wearing masks mm. and they took them off at the same time. It's kind of a comment on how the world was talking about the Far East around this yeah, disease yeah, yeah. and these highly kind of you know frankly racist and, and, and yeah. patronizing tones. And just a few weeks later, lockdown. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know. late February was when it was kind of like I was think I was even remembering. I remember that so well. I was just like, oh, this is getting a bit worrying and then like march just nothing yep so i remember it was one day i was in work next day i was home and then i was there for the next year yeah and it was also like the year of the election and all the other oh, sort of don't talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah so so 2020 sucked but 2019 and the years before were you know years with much going on and we have we have we have taken you through a list of what we think are the well the the 18 best films there's <laughs> <laughs> like 20 but two of them are yeah. overlapped so uh wrap your eyes around some of these films if you haven't seen them like I will certainly be re-watching 
um, or wanting to watch the the blind spotting, the one you mentioned, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Train to Busan, and that Oslo one sounds interesting Oslo, August, too. Oslo, August thirty uh, first. So, should we just quickly run through the films? Uh, yeah. Number ten is uh, for me. It was Grand Budapest Hotel. For you, it was Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, my number nine was Wind River. Mine was Nightcrawler. My number eight, Headhunters. Mine was Gravity. Number seven, The Favorite. Mine was Argo. My number six was Twelve Years a Slave. Train to Busan. My number five, Toy Story Three. Mine was uh, Blind Spotting. Number four, Portrait of a Lady. Oslo, thirty-first August, thirty-first. Three, The Hunt, aka Yachton. Uh, Roma. And then Get Out and Parasite. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so we will be back uh, with uh, the best films of the noughties, yes. which I think is going to be an interesting discussion. <laughs> I think so. Um, so hopefully we can record that while I'm still here. And, yeah, um, we should yeah. do that. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a pleasure. This has been really good fun. Um, yeah. We're still on Twitter. It's still there. It's yeah. still there. I need to change my handle, actually, because I'm no longer the Northampton Dane. I'm now the Holyoke Dane. Um, that sounds like a... Doesn't sound as catchy as North. No, it's not. It's not. The, most, the best was Brixton. Yeah, Dane. Brixton Dane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brixton Dane sounded like a cop show kind of thing. Yeah, Brixton Dane. Brixton Dane. Boy. I know he's a, he has a private detective. I'm sorry, Brixton Dane. Yeah, we're still on the Twitter, even though it, it's still there, despite all the what discount Hugo Drax is doing to the site. Um, but we are on Instagram, so you can follow us there. I'm Anders F. Holmes, and you're adam.h.f.holmes. And we're probably going to set up an Instagram for this podcast, Yeah, right? I don't know if we're going to go on to, like... Because, like, I've seen people going on to Mastodon and Hive. I don't know if we're going to do that. We're going to wait and see which one of those actually takes off, and then we'll join it. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not on TikTok. No, sorry. we're not on TikTok. Because we're just not good-looking enough. I... There's some really weird people on TikTok. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some great TikToks. I'm not going to lie. I just, I am I'm too old, too old to begin the training. But I just, I feel like the people who are on TikTok, when it comes to misinformation, they're the ones that are spreading it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, shit. I mean, social media is a, you know, none of you should be on social media. We shouldn't be on social media either. But we want to tell you about our lovely podcast. And yeah, exactly. listen to it and give us money. Um, but, um... Yeah, well, anyway. You can, also, you can also send us an email at homesmoviespodcast at gmail.com. And we also have a blog, homesmovies. Uh, web dot. Yeah, we have a blog. Yeah. You have a blog. Yeah. Um, I recently posted something about um, Elliot Confidential and another film from that tip period called uh, Mulholland Falls. A film I've never heard of. Wow. It's directed by. Uh, so many films. There are so many films. It's directed by Lee Tamahori, who did uh, Die Another Day. Well, okay. It's basically Doesn't like, make me want to watch no, it. No, it's, it's basically... Like, don't tell me about another movie now. Let's let these people yeah. go home and then you can tell me the alternative ending to... Uh, get out. Get out. So I'm going to get out and uh, so are you. Yes. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, do check uh, do check out the episode when it's released and uh, do look forward to our top 10 2000s episodes. Yeah, because that's... The, the noughties were a very interesting year for movies, I will say. A very interesting year. A very interesting decade. Oh, sorry. A very interesting decade, um, yeah. Yeah, and write in. Uh, write in with um, your thoughts on the 2010s, because I'm sure you have them. Because remember, lists are bullshit. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. why are we going to stop doing them? Um, <laughs> all right. Adios. Uh, see you later. Bye.